Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this week's episode of the Wandering Bear Sports Podcast Series, the number one sports podcast series, maybe in the world, maybe, who knows, maybe if we keep going, we might get there. It's great to be back, everyone looks extremely well, thank you for all the wonderful feedback that I got last week on Sean Hedges' episode. Uh, he was fantastic and good, bad, and any feedback in between is always appreciated. We're always learning and trying to do the best job we can for you lovely people. Um, got a fantastic guest on this week. Before I introduce Mr. Walsh, can I just ask that if you haven't already, can you please subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, review, give us a five-star review, 10-star review, whatever it is now. And could you please also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn, all the different social media things that you have to have these days. Uh, Wandering Bear Sports, Duncan Chubb. It's all there and it's very much appreciated so that we can get this podcast to more and more and more and more people. Okay. I've got to talk about Caffeine Gum Australia, possibly the number one caffeine supplement in the world possibly. Uh, so Caffeine Gum Australia is a company that Kate and I own. Uh, I've told this story multiple times, but I'm going to tell you a story today. I underslept last night. I was my brother from Bali. I don't even know where he lives anymore, but my brother who's now living in Bali was visiting, had a late night, didn't sleep enough, wanted to get up for kickboxing this morning. Today was a two-piece day gum day i've got a good caffeine tolerance now so i went from feeling very tired to being able to get through a kickboxing session this morning had no stomach issues has 100 milligrams of caffeine per piece and it just tastes great and it's pretty cheap too so like this it's really win 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 for everyone so if you feel inclined could you please buy some caffeine gum it's www.caffeinegumaustralia.com Anything that we sell through Caffeine Gum helps us to fund this podcast and keep us going. So thank you very much. That's enough marketing for today. Okay, I was really, really excited to talk to this guy. I wanted to have him on the podcast for a while and I finally mustered up the courage to ask him and he was awesome. From the first minute, he was awesome and I was very, very comfortable speaking to him. I, got, I was a little bit nervous at the start, but... Um, Aaron has a, a good way of making you feel quite comfortable around him from my brief experience with him. But what I thought I'd do to introduce him is to actually read something that I found on his LinkedIn page, uh, which I think sums him up pretty well. So Walshie is an experienced performance coach. His main areas of focus are developing leadership, culture, and mental performance programs for teams. Currently working with the Chiefs in Super Rugby, as well as consulting to Harlequins, Texas Rangers, and Basketball New Zealand. He has worked in MLB, NRL, and with various national teams. Currently coaching multiple corporate leadership teams in creating and maintaining a high-performance work environment. He is sought-after and highly-regarded presenter. He is a sought-after and highly-regarded presenter that is comfortable in both sporting and corporate environments. I love talking to Aaron. He's, I'm going to put him under pressure here. (laughs) 
But he's told me he's going to do a second round, which we'll hopefully get to in the next couple of months. And this is a very, very good podcast. So one thing that I've noticed is that it's very easy to get technical and tactical knowledge from coaches. Getting the mental side of any performance, whether it's sport, rugby, business, uh, and even just life in general is so important. And I don't think it's something we do enough. So I'm going to make the effort to try and do more of these. And there's something in this podcast for everyone. So that's enough of me rambling for today. So without further ado, please enjoy this podcast with Mr. Aaron Walsh. Mate, we're live. Thank you very much for doing this, Mr. Walsh. I've been very excited to have you Ah, on for a long long time. You've got an amazing uh, social media page. So anyone that doesn't follow Aaron, I'll make sure that I put that in the comments or the the bio or whatever you do with these podcast things. Could you give us a a quick career rundown of what you've done and what you've been doing? Yeah, um, probably a pretty unconventional path. Um, Probably not too much different to, you know, people talk about social media and you do a good job on it and what's your strategy. And I'm like, uh, if I find something interesting, I'll post it. So I don't, I don't have like a, we'll do this many posts at this hour. So sort of my career has been, I've always been fascinated by high performance. Um, I think, you know, probably the early days was school visits with Sir Edmund Hillary. Um, you know, being a Kiwi, he would come to schools and, you know, just the idea of someone going up that mountain who's never gone up before was just fascinating to me. And then as I got more and more into sports, so that, that sort of became the vehicle for me to explore high performance and always wondered why some people tend to, um, you know, go beyond what we expect them to. And then, you know, I grew up in a, obviously a rugby mad country and I reckon I played with players that were better than all blacks and never translated that into performance or, so I'd already had this fascination and so it sort of led me, um, went to the US for a long time, lived in the US for a long time and started to get involved with baseball, um, mainly through the player development pathway and um, then sort of almost by accident, the players that I was working with, I, I noticed this massive gap in their development around the mental side and I didn't really have a background in it, like I didn't, I'm not a psychologist and, but I understood what they were talking about quite deeply and i understood how to i suppose translate the principles that we do find within psychology into language that they could understand and apply and so probably the last you know 15 20 years have now been mostly in high performance sport um i do 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 quite a bit of work with corporate teams and um done that for quite a few years sort of in the off season sort of as a hobby and also something that keeps me quite fresh because I like, I like the diversity of, you know, being one day with a, you know, a rugby team next day you're with a, you know, an export company. And then, you know, the next day you might be in a school. So I quite enjoy that. So um, yeah, from a career advancement, I suppose just advanced sort of just quite organically. Like I never had really any goals of being anything and just found myself in all these really cool positions, whether it be, you know, with super rugby, whether it be like, advising a club like Harlequins in London about building, helping them building a mental skills program, whether it's with the Texas Rangers coming up with a leadership development program for their minor leaguers or, you know, whether, you know, it's with something like New Zealand softball I'm doing now, which is an amateur sport, helping them prepare for a world cup. So I love 
the diversity, just did a review for Basketball New Zealand, worked in the NRL. So I've done heaps of different stuff over the years, but all sort of related to the people side of things. What, what I've found very interesting, obviously we chatted a little bit yesterday yeah, yeah. about booking this podcast, is that there, there's so many areas to dive into for mental yeah. performance and mental skills yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. So a good example is, is this podcast is I've had a lot of rugby coaches on here yep. and there's been a lot of technical and tactical insights yep. from various coaches, but the mental performance side still seems to be lacking a little bit. Is, yep. there, is there a reason that you believe that is the case is it something that people are still learning Jeez, about we got five hours like, I yeah mean, i know seriously. i know like i told you it, i'd jump all over the place nah it's one of those things where um i think it's a philosophical thing so it's how you view something or how you perceive something to work i think is always really important in sports so you know like you think about the physical so when i talk to about to athletes there's three things that you have to hone to be really really good at what you do you have to hone your body you have to hone your craft and you have to hone your mind. So every athlete's got those three things. So regardless of what you're doing, now you think about those first two, it's quite basic. Like if my body's not where it needs to be, I get assessed, get a program and I go to work. If my um, craft is below where it needs to be, then I'll, you know, you know what to do. Like there's clear pathways. And so like I always started off, I was in Taranaki, actually New Plymouth yesterday with Taranaki Rugby and, you know, I asked the same question. I start off a lot of my, my workshops with these players and coaches is how many of you think the mental side contributes to your performance? And of course, everyone puts in their hand, how many of you work on it? And it's normally about 2% or 3%. Yeah. So the issue I don't think is value. The issue is practice. But I don't think people not to do. And it goes back to the philosophy. If you treat mental skills as something you need to work on because something's wrong with me, or you look at it, this is another skill that I have to develop in order to be successful, then your approach to it is radically different. And I go with the latter. I think if you approach it like a skill, then you can grow it. If you approach it like a personality trait, then it's going to go nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. I want to focus more on the work you do with coaches. This is a very, I get a lot of coaches who listen to this podcast and I'm a young coach myself. And something that I found incredibly interesting about coaching is, is you've got to be all sorts of different things all at the same time. And the hardest bit isn't actually the rugby side of things. It's the, yeah, yeah. it's the building, the culture, the community, getting buy-in, all yep. that kind of thing. You, you've worked with a lot of coaches. You've seen a lot of different things. Is there some common themes that you believe any aspiring coach who would like to be an elite level coach one day have to work on or cultivate so that they can get to that level? Yeah, I think most of it goes back to understanding what you're there to actually do. So when I think about a coach, the, the primary role of a coach is to help maximize the capability of the players and teams in front of you. Like to me, it's really simple. Like how do we help you get to where you need to get to? And, um, you know, the analogy I use for my own coaching philosophy, which I think probably one that I really believe in and one that I've probably developed as I've observed some pretty amazing coaches over the years is that, I see coaching very similar to the role of what a Sherpa would be on a mountain expedition. So you think about a Sherpa and obviously we know Sherpa as well here in New Zealand because of Hillary and Tenzing um, Norquay, who went up to the top of Everest with, 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 um, with Sir Ed. And when I think of a Sherpa, I think of there's three things they've got to do well. 
And so as a coach, this is the three things that I'm always focused on, which would be number one is knowledge. Number two is tools. And number three is support. And so you think about it using that climbing analogy is that the knowledge part for is particularly important. And that's to me, not always technical. So like, you know, like a Sherpa looks at the Kumu icefall and has a look at the weather forecast and goes, it's 31 degrees today there. That means that the ice is going to melt. And that means we're really in danger. So we're not going to go up today. Just like you say to a player, hey, I know you're thinking about this part of your performance or you're looking at that. Have you thought about this? Have you considered that this might actually be a better way? And, and I think, you know, coaches who are able to leverage experience, like either through their own career, if they've been a player or through their own um, maturation as a coach, I think they're able then to bring that experience in the form of knowledge to help guide players in the right direction. Yeah. And then second thing is the tools, like you've got to have practices. So like it's one thing to identify where a player needs to grow or if you're increasing their capability or have a plan with them. It's another thing to know how to do that. So once again, going back to the Sherpa, the Sherpa would say, hey, we need to go to camp one to camp two today. Make sure you have your crampons, make sure you have your ice axe. You know, like they know what you need to have in your tool belt to go to the next level and provide those tools for you. Yeah. And then I think the third part is probably, I think to me, still the most important part of coaching, which is the support. So often you'll have, you know, like a player, you know, going back to Everest, they're at camp two, they've got four more camps to go through to the summit and they're overwhelmed, like how, how massive the journey is and how much further they've got to go. And sometimes they just need someone to put an arm around them and say, hey, mate, you're on the right path here. Like, let's just go to, to camp two. That's our whole focus. Forget about the summit. We're just going to go there and hit and just, you know, like you think all of us need, I don't know, I'm 46. I still need someone to put an arm around me, mate, and say, Hey, you're all right. You're yeah. going all right. You're on the right path and keep going. And you know what? And that support can be, I think for coaching is not technical. This is the emotional and mental side of understanding our athletes and then working with them through that. So, so people go, what's your philosophy? What's great coaches? Best way for me to explain it. A coach is a Sherpa. Sherpa is a great example of coaching. Oh, mate, I, I love that. That's such a great example. Sometimes you got to carry the bags for them. Yeah, get all them of that. Another level. Yeah, they, yeah there's so many analogies that could be unpacked in that. Even like the preparation element is like before you climb, climb Everest, you got to make sure you're prepared. And a Sherpa is the one that prepares you to climb Everest. You know, and, and so that's sort of how I see the role of coaching from my own framework. It's a bit of a buzzword, but every, everyone wants to have a successful culture. Yeah. For a mental skills coach, what does that mean to you? Because you, you can have culture that feels really nice, but is not necessarily successful. How, yeah, how, do, you, yeah, how do you look at that? Question. I mean, as you said, culture is such an interesting word. It's, you know, I, I, I probably would tend to use the concept of environment. So there's either environments that enhance the capability of the people within them, or there's um, environments that detract from the capability of the people within them and so there's certain ingredients obviously in the environments that you know enhance so you know like i would probably always start off with looking at a sense of probably the two ones are identity and belonging are probably to me a really foundational to strong cultures so because if you know who you are not just individually but collectively then you've got an idea of how you're going to live and culture is lived not not spoken right so yeah you know, you can have a design or you have someone come in and say, these are the five things of a great culture. Well, yeah, if helpful. How do you live them? Like, what are they, are they livable? And I think identity is, 
identity is probably the biggest piece for me because it marries the mental skills role. So identity is how we view ourselves, right? So that's a, that's a mindset thing. So, you know, how you view yourself collectively of a team and then you shape your environment around that identity, I think is a massive part. And then I think what goes along with that is then if the identity piece is strong enough, then you can have a great chance of creating belonging. And, you know, like, you know, obviously I'm, I'm fairly biased because, you know, one of my good friends wrote a book called Belonging Owen Eastwood, but um, I just think that's that concept of understanding that the uh, as a species, our primal yearning and need to be part of a group of people where we can be ourselves and be accepted is so, so powerful that the coaches or the leaders of an environment that can create that and create it authentically. So it's not like people are just free to be who they want, where they want. No, we have an aligned um, sense of identity that creates a, an opportunity you for belong here. Yes, it's conditional belong. It's not unconditional because there's standards and there's, you know, and this is where I think sports, like, I suppose I'm being picky here, mate, but I hate the idea of saying, well, our clubs are family. Yeah. And I just, it's not true. Like the only place where we have unconditional belonging for some of us has been our families where no matter what we do, we belong. A high performance sport isn't that it's conditional. Like you belong as if you perform. And I think we sometimes sell people a bill of goods that just isn't quite right because we're trying to create a false sense of belonging rather than a true sense of belonging, which does require standards and expectations and performances to be part of that. Okay. There's, there's a lot to unpack there and I probably yeah. need more than 45 minutes to go through. Yeah, everything. yeah, yeah. The, the thing that really stood out for me there is identity. Yeah. As, as leaders, is it a matter of tapping into the existing identity of the club, the business, yeah, yeah. the organization that you've been a part of, and then building values that uh, match that identity? Is, is, that, is that what you're, you're saying? What, what I'm saying is that we don't create our own identity. We inherit it. So it's very rare, unless you're a new club, that you have a clean slate, do you? So the idea that you get someone in each year to do a whole chat on culture and identity and you create a new one and you get a whiteboard out, I think is massively ineffective. Yeah. Like we all have an identity. Like I'm, I, I work for the Chiefs, so we're from Waikato. So we have, and we know our tribe is Tainui. So we, we, we know as one of our tribes, you know, like there's multiple in our region, but we understand like, we understand who we are. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. and these are the characteristics because ultimately any club is representing someone, not themselves. So we're representing a region that has some real clear identity anchors that the way I think about it is I want, you know, someone to come along on a Saturday night from our region and go, that's us on a footy field. Yeah. And I can resonate with them because they represent us. And they live what we think is important. So you have a look at, say, someone like the Crusaders who, you know, have a lot of respect for down south, man. They are a real hardworking, soul to the earth. Sort of, and you can see that eh, in the way that they play. And yeah, our, our region's a little bit looser and a little bit more creative and, you know, sort of got that sort of different feel. Yeah. So you watch us play. We, we are quite different. We will have a go from anywhere. We're quite you know, not risky, but we're, we're innovative. We've got that sense of freedom and that's chiefs rugby. Does that make sense? And I can go to you like where you're from. I know what Brumby's rugby is, but yeah. also I know what Waratah's rugby is and they're different and they're not different because the game plan's different. 
they're different because they're trying to capture the identity of the people they're representing and then translate that onto a footy field. Okay. That, that all sounds as a rugby coach, I've got, that yeah. sounds great. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you want to win. That's why we're yeah. in this business. Yeah. Winning is important. Is in your view as a mental performance coach is, is capturing that identity translating that into style of play and then having everyone feel ownership and belonging to that. And that's us and buying into that. Is, is that a critical element of success? Would you say, or is that just the first part? I think it's a part of it, but it's a critical part from this reason. If I asked you, what's the best version of yourself? It's the most true one. isn't it? Yeah. 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 Well, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, so best yeah. performance comes from authenticity. So the more we're authentic yeah. and can just be ourselves without trying to manipulate it to be something else, then all of a sudden that I would, I would argue that would be the best version of ourselves that has the highest opportunity for us to perform to what we're capable of. Okay. I, I completely agree. I, something flipped in my own life maybe a year yeah. or so ago. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to be unconditionally myself, particularly yep. doing these podcasts. And it's, yep. so far it's been working yep. reasonably well. So yep. I can yep. back that up in terms of changing a culture. So if you've, if you're a coach, you've gone into, let's use Australian softball as, as an example, yep. I have no idea, but the culture yep. might not be a successful culture. Yeah. How do you go about changing that? from the mental from the mental side yeah to into becoming something that is successful and and what are the key steps to doing that oh i think it's all about leadership like is there an appetite for change or not you know that's the biggest thing like you know like i'll go into a a team whether it's a corporate or whether it's a sports team and they go like we don't like our environment we want to change and da 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 and then you start the work and you go they don't want to change yeah they don't want to change so I'll just say, unless you want to change, like really want to change, because change is hard, right? It's confronting and it's often awkward. And there's often periods where the lag of, you know, because I think we have the, the, the idea is that that culture is the key of everything. And I don't, don't even believe that one little bit. And I'll tell you why is talent will always be culture until it's equal. Right. So like, you know, like Wairapa Bush, who's an NPC team here, will never win the World Cup, even though they might have the greatest culture because they don't have enough talent. Does that make sense? Yes. Where the Chicago Bills would argue at times their culture was quite toxic, but they have more talent. Yeah. You know, and so I think, you know, the whole thing of like, I've heard it said, like, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I completely disagree with that, is that the, the evidence of a good culture is great strategy. So what are you talking about? Right. You know, like, yeah, I know what they're saying, but you can't have a great culture if you have poor strategy. It just doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah. So, you know, if I work with a team, you know, often what, what they won't have is they won't have a clear purpose of why the team exists. So they won't even have a sense like, so why, why does this team exist? Like, and that's a big question. Like yep. you think about it, it's not easy to answer. Right. No. You know, in, like any a, in any team, no, probably. Like I know part of why our team exists is to bring joy to the people of our region yeah, and to for that, something for them to rally around and feel proud about. So, you know, how do we do that? How do we achieve that purpose? Well, we need to win, right? Yeah. 
That's yeah. how you achieve that purpose by being successful. So it doesn't devoid performance, but it allows. And I think what people get, like I've heard people say, our purpose is the win. I go, that's a that's a horrible purpose. <laughs> like, well, it's not. Then, it's not very. Huh, uh, then what? Then what? Yeah. So your purpose isn't the win. You know, your purpose is to is to be something to someone, and winning contributes to that purpose being actualized. And then once you've got that purpose piece, and once you've got a little bit of idea, I suppose the vision mission piece around what what are we actually trying to accomplish together, that's when you can have standards. Uh, we've all sat in meetings where yeah. the culture meeting, what's our yeah. vision, what are our goals, yeah, yeah. and then within three rounds of the season, it's all out the yeah. door, and people don't go back to yeah. it. As as someone that does your job, it, yeah. how how do we keep going back to our identity so that it's really strong? throughout an entire year you got to review it yeah you so is, review is that it. a matter of just formally going you know team meeting i reckon down. like for, for like you have a look at how do we review performances like like you kind of get given two options one would be outcome one would be process yeah as a coach why don't you just review it from identity where we true to who we were you know did we live our identity on the field for the last 80 minutes and i know we can answer that in a heartbeat whether we we lived our identity or not and yeah. i guarantee you the games we live our identity we win so you know like that's got to be part of the conversation i would say every couple of weeks i know that different teams i've been a part of we've tried to review culture every four weeks yeah. so put up our main anchors you know where it be like care or competitiveness or whatever it might be and go let's split into groups of four for three minutes doesn't have to be an hour for three minutes are we living these? That's what you need to ask. Then each group comes back and we're getting a feel from the, you know, like a temperature gauge, you know, yeah. where are we really at with this stuff? Okay. Well, we're not living this where we need to. Let's do something about that. Um, what? But then coaches get so obsessed with X's and O's and strategy. because that's what we know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, but, but you know that, you know, if people aren't, maximizing like i think it's a really good question for a coach like are players getting better and under your leadership and if the answer is yes then hey you're doing things right you might need to still grow and tweak a few things yeah but if people come into the environment and they're trying to manage how they are experiencing a poor culture then their focus won't be on playing why do people fear change you just mentioned it before yeah. will you if you go into a team or an organization and they say they want to change, but you work out pretty quickly that they don't. And I'm sure that there's some really obvious signs that yeah. they don't actually want to change. Is that something that you will still attack and try and change? Or is it, if if they're not willing to change, I can't help them? Yeah, probably a couple of questions. First one, why do people feel change? I don't think we fear change as much as we love predictability. And so pre predictability gives us assurance that we're going to be okay. So if you're a CEO of a club and you have someone in who wants to change a lot of things, is there predictability around your future within the organization? Probably not. No. no. So let's just keep things status quo. And, you know, it's human nature, right? Because we're a survival species, we actually want predictability is our friend because it enables us then to make plans to keep us safe and avoid threat. So when you take predictability out and create change, then your assurance of being safe and avoiding threat is gone. And that's quite an uneasy feeling for yeah. everyone, right? So 
So I think that's one reason. I don't think so much people hate change. I think people just love predictability. <laughs> um, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the second thing would be, nah, mate, I got no interest. I, my whole policy is feed the hungry. Yeah. So if you want to grow, I'll give you everything I got, but I'm not going to force growth down your throat if you want to change. So I say to the guys at the start of the year, I'm here three days a week or two days a week, whatever it is. If you want to grow, I'm going to give you everything, mate. I'll give you 100%, but I'm not chasing you up for one-on-one. So I'm not texting you to, that's up to you. It's your career. You got to own it. And I'm really quite firm on that. And I know some players have been like, well, shit, what's, you know, what's that about? But at the end of the day, I'm trying to do the best for the player, which is if you don't own your development, then you're never going to succeed. Yeah. Never going to succeed. If you're always relying on someone to flick you a text to see if you've done your work or you're not owning it, you're not owning it. You just, you know, you got a school teacher running your life, which I just think is such an inefficient way to lead people. Do you think people fear success? I don't think people, yeah, I don't know if fear is the right word. I think some people don't think they deserve it. So I don't know if that's fear it, you know, because, you know, the whole thing about being an imposter is that we don't actually feel like we've, we're qualified to be successful and, or we haven't done, you know, or we've got flaws that means that we can't be successful. So, you know, and I think that's, that's a really cool mindset to trying to challenge is that you can be flawed, still growing and be worthy of success because no one's a finished product. So in my couple of years of coaching, I've seen yeah. some people who I believed have fear of success, yeah. but you yeah. probably, that's probably more accurate yeah. the way you put it. How, how do we help these people overcome this imposter syndrome, this, yeah. you know, the, I'm not worthy. Yeah. Is it something that they have to come and do the work? Yeah, I on? think we can help them. Like to me that, like I've battled with it myself, particularly, you know, earlier in my career and being a non-clinical psychologist in that mental space, there's always probably times where I not question my ability, but question my perception. If that makes sense. Like I know Def- I can definitely. do a good job, but it might be perceived as being da-da-da. And I think one of the things is, is facts. Facts are really important. Like if you've got data, you know, like, I'm 20 years into a journey now. I've got enough facts and data that I do a good job. So yeah. without that evidence, then I would suffer with it. You know, and I think that, that fine line between imposter syndrome and someone living in la-la land is not that far apart. You know, because the one in imposter syndrome can't see the facts. The one in la-la land overinflates the facts. Yeah. You know, but they're still probably coming from a similar place of a little bit of lack of self-awareness. One thing I keep hearing about the mental side of anything is you've mm. got to have a process, go back yeah. to the process, trust the process, yeah. get a process. What, what does that mean to you as someone who's a mental skills coach? I hate that phrase sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and the only reason I hate it is because it's only viewed through one lens. So when I think about people who are pursuing, you know, trying to really maximize their career or development or skill set. Um, you'll often often have this two extremes and we've sort of counted the extreme with another extreme. So the number of one extreme would be over this side of the pendulum would be like outcome obsession. Yeah. Like I will do everything each week to win no matter what, but I don't know why I win, you know? So then it doesn't become repetitive without a process. Right. 
But then I reckon what we don't talk about much, um, and I learned this probably much more in a sport like cricket. I worked in cricket for a number of years, and I call it process apathy. And so it's the idea that because I have a process, I will perform well. Yeah. Um, but the evidence of good processes is good performances. And I found like when I began to challenge athletes around, hey, you're not performing. Yeah, but I still got to trust the process. I go, what if your process is not good? So a process to me is a set of behaviors that enable you to perform at your best. And you've got to be really clear on what those behaviors are and the evidence of the effectiveness of you um, focusing on or targeting those behaviors. It's not that your outcome changes, but your performance gets better. And so if you don't have a process you believe in, then you don't have engagement and intent in that process. And so trusting the process is only useful if the process is fit for purpose and enables you to perform. And I, I could imagine that that would potentially change over time as well as you get yeah. more experience or different conditions. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is that something that you'll sit down with a coach or a player or a leader in an organization and go, let's nut out what you did this week? Yeah, yeah. What were your outcomes? Yeah. Okay, what can we go back and change for next week so that we can get better outcomes? Yeah, 100%. So is, is that something so you my, do? My, my vehicle to help people create a performance process would be a schedule. So we just go through a, a weekly schedule and then, you know, like I do it quite a simple way. So I would do, you know, like, what are you trying to accomplish with your sport? Okay. So that's just, to me, that's the GPS. Like you shouldn't hop in a car and just drive her in circles, which is that's, that's a process apathy. Yeah. You're doing a whole bunch of stuff, but you're getting no closer to your destination. So you've got your, your what, which is your GPS coordinates you've got your how which are your directions for your gps right so these are the key areas i need to focus on whether it be physical craft mental whatever it is okay then you've got your when yeah which is your time and i'd add one more layer you got to have your who your circle of people so once we go through that process we get to the when that's when are we doing the behaviors that are critical to your success and we will review that all the time like i've got you know, I know, think of one athlete, you know, who's played a lot for the All Blacks. He will do his weekly schedule every Sunday and send it to me. Yeah. And it's all marked out around not just his focus with his sport, but around where he's having balance and rest. And so it's quite an holistic schedule for the week. But he found a couple of things. One, he wasn't on as much as he thought he was, which is good. It's quite mental, like you're only training each number of hours. And two, it was a tremendous piece of evidence on a Friday night before a game that you're ready to go. The other question I had in that is, is obviously performances. So I, I know you work with quite a few of the All Blacks guys. Who judges the performance and, and can you improve the process to get even better performances? And is, is that something you'll look at and go, uh, who plays for the Chiefs? Sammy Kane played yeah. really well on the weekend. Yeah. But potentially if we do this he could be even better depends on your coaching philosophy doesn't it mate because you know like so i got an equation that i use all the time high performance equals capability minus interference i know it's a bit of a head full but it will make sense and so as a coach you've got a job is you've got to find the balance of increasing capability and reducing interference every week with a player now i reckon it should be like an 80-20, to be honest. So I'll give you an example. So 
So if we think, say, Sam Kane, why is Sam came in the room? He's in the room because he does things, some things really, really well. He's not in the room because he's of what he's not yet done. Yeah. So why do we focus on work-ons instead of building capability? Yeah, that's a good point. Like why every Monday then do we look at the things that they didn't do? But that's not why you selected them. You select them for what they can do. Yeah. Now you can you can judge them on what they what they didn't deliver in the areas that you've agreed to to be their points of difference or or the strength that they bring to the table. But my worry is, and I've seen it with players, where work on culture, which I despise, um, work on culture, you end up working at something that increases your performance by five percent, neglect something that is actually ninety five percent of your performance. Yeah. So all of a sudden, it's a coaching philosophy, right? I think like my caveat on this would be as the players get older, say someone like a Sam Kane, you probably are working mostly on the reduction of interference because he's spent a lot of time increasing his capability. Yeah. But he might add some things in there like next year where he might go, I want to have better foot movement at the line or I want to pass better and drop goals. But, but that's not his focus. That's, yeah. that's adding to the bow, but the core things he'll train and he'll work on and you know it's it's a strange concept but i reckon the best players in the world don't reinvent themselves they get better at what they're already good at do you would you use that same approach for a developing athlete nah nah i'd be way more capability than interference on a developing athlete let's increase their capability and see where we can get them to and then wonder what areas are in the way that not preventing them from accessing that capability so I'd be high on building, building, building strength base, strength base, strength base, strength base, building confidence, building self-esteem, building self-awareness and knowledge around their what they're good at. Yeah. Yeah. And then once we've sort of got a good idea of where that's maybe reducing some of the interference factors, which aren't always rugby, right? Yeah. So an interference factor for, you know, a senior all black could be how much media they do in a week. Okay, then how do we work on that to make that more manageable? Because you'll find that you're not being able to go and rest after a training session because you know you've got a TV or a radio. That's not helpful. We need you to be recovering well. So how do we work through that? So it's not just rugby, but it's that's probably my philosophy around it. I wanted to ask you about this tweet you put up yeah. a little while ago. A significant shift I am observing in rugby the last few years. A team that buys into and delivers a system accurately is far more reliable than a team that leans on talent. Sound systems facilitate trust and belief. A talent-based reliance can often lead to frank franticness under pressure. What do you mean by that? So, you know, like coaching is not just the assembling of talent, but the utilization of that talent, right? And so I'll give you an example. I think in New Zealand rugby, this is just, not me speaking on behalf of anyone, just as a coach and a fan, I'd look at and go, what's changed in world rugby in the last five to six years? You know, and think about this, you know, the All Blacks never lost to Ireland for a hundred years, have lost five times in the last six games or seven games. What changed? Yeah. Did we get less talented? I don't think, probably not, right? We're still pretty talented rugby players. But the systems that they have developed to mitigate our talent are incredible. And so when you have a system, and I'm not just saying a boring, predictable system, it'd be a multifaceted system with a bit of adaptability. It's not just simply, we do this 
we do this and then we do that. Now, if this situation arises, we've got few options of what we work to but, but the core foundations of the coaching system are, are understandable and, and perceivable by everyone. Under pressure, you have a lot of trust in executing that system because yeah. you're, you've, you've trained it and you understand what it's about. Now, in New Zealand, we've, we've been for so long, if, if the All Blacks got into trouble, and you think about this in the last 20 years, we had a, from a Jonah Lomu, you know, like you just Christian have these, Cullen, freaks, just never these ending. Christian Cullens, Dan Carters, we'll just take over a game. Yeah. And we're fine. We win. It's not the case anymore. Um, not that our ta- players are less talented, but I think particularly in defensive systems are so good that they can, it's a little bit like the NFL, right? You can take out a piece of talent if you've got a good enough D, D structure. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I sort of meant. And now, you know, like I reckon you see teams, like this is really interesting to me, is that you have a look at super rugby, particularly here in New Zealand. If you go out to like a two score lead in the second half, I think it's something like 75 to 80% of that times that lead gets reduced to three points. Right. So teams get, do teams at the leading get tighter or do teams that are losing get freer? And it's often a combo. So yeah. remember, remember in um, Melbourne, 31-10, All Blacks, 20 minutes to go. Yeah. What would be your expectation? You know, 55-17 or 55. All of a sudden, the game's changed. Yeah. And so you have to be able to go through those waves and navigate through that. Um, That's a fascinating topic that I think yeah. could probably be. Oh, mate, there, I could talk to, there for hours about this because there is a, there is a, I, I just call it the science of momentum, which yeah. I don't actually think momentum is anything. It's just something we perceive, but for the sake of, you know, having language we can understand it's, it's, it's acknowledging the pressure shifts that happen within a game. So when you're leading, you think you'd be freer, but you actually become more tighter. Yeah. When you're losing, you think you become more discouraged, but you actually become freer. And sometimes that combination ends up turning into some pretty wild events on a footy field. Particularly lately. Will, will, you, yeah. go, will you sit down with the leadership group? Because obviously they're the guys that have yeah. to drive the momentum yeah. shifts and manage it. Yeah. Is, is that a matter of you just sitting down with the guys, showing them tape and going, what, what's our what's our talk like in this situation? What are you guys thinking? Yeah. How do we how do we attack the dip or the or the up? Yeah. Or I think it it's is- a it's a combo of a heap of things. It's like it's around like us planning as a coaching staff with the players. Like when we do go in front, how do we want to play? Because I reckon that's part of the 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 problem is that I don't think teams know how to play. Like you go up, say if you go up. 31 17 you got 23 minutes left do you just pin them in their own half trust your d grind them down yeah or do you try and put a sword through them like that's hard eh? like that's a hard thing to i I think it's contextual yeah and we're playing against really good rugby players so like you think about and this is what sometimes i don't think we think about as coaches like if it's the chiefs and we're down 31 17 i'll tell you what we're going to fight till the last minute why don't we expect that of the teams we play? Yeah. You know, so exactly. like one of the things that would be worth considering if you're a coach is maybe wondering, do we have a plan? Because there's probably going to be a three to five minute window yeah. where they're going to come at us. Maybe it's off a, a, a kickoff and we've got to get our exit right and all that sort of stuff. But there might be a three to five window where if you weather that storm, 
you're away. But it's actually acknowledging and assessing those situations, just not from a game plan, but from a probably a mental pressure. Like there's mental shifts in a game. Yeah. There's mental moments in a game. Like I'll tell you what's mental moments. Uh, line outs, five meter line outs. You know, if you're, if you, Hook. It's yeah, if you, if you, if you bang it and you go through and you crush them with a rolling maul, it can set a precedent for the whole game. If yep. you're on D and you hold them up, get a turnover and a scrum, you can feel it, eh? Yep. Feel it. So they're mental moments. Scrums are mental moments. You know, I reckon sometimes restarts are mental moments. They're key moments that if you nail the mentality or the mental, mental atmosphere of a game changes. I have so many questions for you, but but I yeah. know you got to go soon. So yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. maybe we'll do a round two, eh? Because oh, I know man. we haven't even scratched the surface yet. I, I could go on for hours, but I've just got a couple of rapid fire questions, yeah, yeah. sir, and I'll, I'll let you yeah. go. Is there a particular trait that you see that is common in all high performers or high performance teams? That's probably not a quick answer, but yeah, ownership, ownership. Yeah, yeah that's my go-to every time someone asks me. It's my career. I'm driving it. People around me are there to help support me. If you had to recommend any book, what would it be? Yeah, I think personal book. I still love Atomic Habits by James Clear. Great just book. love the idea of just simple things done well over time make a huge difference. And for a book for a team, I'm biased, man, but I just think Belonging by Owen Eastwood. I've got to read that. Is probably yeah. hits all the spots that need to be hit around understanding why teams exist and why it's important to cultivate them in a certain way. I love it. Do you have any podcasts that you listen to regularly? Oh yeah. I listen to one that no one would probably ever listen to. So I listen to one called the brilliantly dumb show. They're American sports ones. Yeah. It's just a bunch of idiots that I love. And then I love, I love the NFL. So I listen to Pat McAfee every day. I love, I love Pat. <laughs> yeah. So I listen to Pat McAfee. Like I'll download. It's just on that. And then I love golf. So there's another one called Foreplay Podcast. Yeah. There's a golf yeah. podcast. So I'll listen. They're probably my three. I don't really like, I know it sounds probably horrible, but because of the work I do and um, podcasts aren't learning for me, like I'll, that's a whole nother It's world. like an escape. It's, I want to be entertained. So I go for a walk every night in the evening. So I always have a podcast on. And it'll be entertainment. I don't want to be thinking about stuff. I want to be entertained and laugh. I'd highly recommend Pat McAfee to anyone. Yeah, Pat McAfee's totally. AJ Hawk. I love he's, those guys. He's awesome. Do you have Tone a favorite Dicks. documentary? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Toxic Table. Um, I love, uh, probably everyone says it. I've watched, only one I've watched like numerous times. There's two. Um, All or Nothing on Man City. Love it. Yeah, Pep was awesome. And I loved it. I love, I actually don't, have a football team that I love, but after that, I was like, I like Man City just because that doc. Yeah. And then I can't go past it. The last dance is phenomenal. Just because of the insight over that many seasons yeah, and just realizing how flawed Jordan was and how much I, if I was during that era, I wouldn't have wanted to be around them, to be honest. It's, like it, um... The, yeah. the question they asked him at the end about whether you regret not being able to go for seven titles. Yeah. And he's still angry about it to this day, considering yeah. all he's achieved. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it's amazing. Yeah. And I think, you know, like, you know, there's a fine line between drive and obsession that then translates into the way you treat people. 
Absolutely. And that was probably the biggest insight to me was one, Phil Jackson's a genius of how he read people. Like who lets Rodman go and get on the booze for two days? Imagine that happening now. Yeah, he just knew it was without that we would have lost him. All right, mate. I know you got to go. Last question. What yep. advice uh, what advice would you give to any athlete or coach starting their journey in mental performance? Yeah, be patient, but be intentional. Like you've got 18, 20 years of dumb thoughts. You're not going to change them overnight. But don't drift either. Like I think there's a danger of patience equals drifting. I like patience with intentionality. So well, patience with urgency, which is I have urgency around the changes I'm making. I have patience around the outcome of those changes. Mate, thank you so much for doing this. I really oh, appreciate welcome. it. Sorry for my dribbling at the start. I've had nah, too much coffee right, today. No, nah, you're good, mate. Um, um, just just before we leave, where can yeah. people find you? I'll put your Twitter in the bio. Yeah, Twitter and just LinkedIn. I yeah, I'm not. I don't really. I haven't done Instagram. Someone, one of the kids that I work with said, and I'm considering. He goes, "Why don't you start a TikTok page?" and do like two minute coaching. So I'm thinking about it, but that's way out there, man. I'm old. Man, I post memes and I've got like a million views on one video. So. Outstanding. <laughs> if you're I'm offering probably, some quality, it might be yeah, worthwhile. I might be too serious for TikTok. <laughs> Mate, thank you so yep, much. You're welcome. Uh, okay, guys, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, can you please make sure that you subscribe on YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, TikTok, Hinge, all the different apps, whatever they are. Please make sure you check it out, check us out. And can I also ask that you please share it? If you if you got something out of today's episode, tell a friend about it. Word of mouth is still the strongest marketing tool, and I really want to make sure that these fantastic guests that I'm lucky enough to be able to talk to um, get to as many people as possible. And some of the stuff that I get to learn is shared with many people. So thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you again next week.